Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. In this edition, we're talking regional educational centers and find out about two magnet high schools run by the nonprofit EastCon, one in Danielson, the other in Willimantic. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. If you live in the northeast of Connecticut, you might be familiar with the organization called EastCon. It's one of six public, non-profit, regional educational service centers that provides services for youth and adults across a range of areas. As the new school year started, I caught up with two principals from two of EastCon's Magnet High Schools to find out more about their respective schools and the challenges they face. David Brown is the principal of Quinnebog Middle College, located on the campus of Quinnebog Valley Community College in Danielson, and Sarah Mallory is the principal of Arts at the Capitol Theatre, a performing arts high school based in Willimantic. To you both, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Brian. I really appreciate this opportunity. David, I'm going to start with you. What is a middle college? Great question. So middle college provides early access to 9th to 12th grade students to college courses, We cover tuition and books. We prepare kids for success in a college setting. So a unique model located right on a community college campus where kids can walk down a corridor and go right into a college class with adults. So how many of those actually exist? Because as you said, it's, it's a unique situation. I mean, are you the only one in Northeast Connecticut? Yes, we are. In fact, we're the only ones that offer early college access starting from grade nine. Most uh, middle college programs start at grade 11. With our students and the capability of our learners, we see success with students starting in grade 9 in college classes, which is incredible. Sarah, I want to turn to you. Obviously, Principal of Arts at the Capitol Theatre. Frankly, I don't think we hear enough about the arts here in Connecticut. So do your 60-second pitch for me. (laughs) (laughs) So we are located in Willimantic, downtown, right on Main Street, and in the historic Capitol Theatre building. So the the building itself has a big history in town. As you said, there's not a, a ton of opportunities for students in the performing arts in this area, and ACT brings equal access to arts for all students. So we have students in grades 9 through 12 and have all areas of the performing arts free tuition. You know, typically performing arts requires after school private studios and a big expense for families. So this school brings students together through the arts. So question to both of you. How did both of you get involved in the jobs that you, you're doing, Sarah? That's a great question. So I've actually been at ACT since 2008, and I started teaching physical education, health, and dance there right out of college and um, found my way into leadership. I never once thought I was going to be a principal and kind of (laughs) found my way based on interests and really the school itself brought me to the leadership role, just the community. I love being part of it and it's just a great place to be. 
uh, starting my career in natural resource sciences, working for the Nature Conservancy in several aquariums. With the Nature Conservancy, I piloted a program bringing urban youth onto preserves and really giving them an opportunity to engage in hands-on learning. That really opened the door for me for education and jumped right in head first. Urban and rural education is kind of my passion and really promoting sciences with our youth. We're not going to go too heavy on the pandemic, but we would be remiss if we didn't mention it because it's been such a big part of all of our lives for the past, what, two, two and a half years. David, how did it affect, obviously, the college? It certainly had a huge impact on mental health across the nation or internationally. I know for our youth, we live in a very rural location where resources are not accessible and that students were really uh, prohibited from being able to access mental health supports. In addition to that, it did impact learning. Shifting automatically to remote took a lot of maneuvering on part of the administrators and our IT staff to provide direct support and to give IT access, such as Wi-Fi, et cetera, to the um, students at home. And we're still seeing, obviously, the fallout of that now. I mean, how, how are you dealing with it? Because, as you say, it was a big sea change. It's continuing to be a big sea change. Mm. So, you know, what are mm-hmm. some of the challenges that you're still facing? I know we speak highly about and often about learning loss in students. I personally view it as an opportunity for reflection and growth, especially in public education. It was a time for us to set back and really understand and calibrate what works and what does not work. And so many districts were able to kind of successfully come out of it. And I think we were able to learn a lot, a lot with making some instrumental changes within our school systems. But specifically at a magnet, we have a lot more flexibility in adopting research-based practices that are effective for our youth. And Sarah, again, the performing arts got hit really, really hard. As I said, I know everything got hit hard, so I don't want to just like, so like single out one thing and say, oh, you got hit harder than anybody else. But it did get hit particularly hard. It's still suffering the performing arts here. Tell us about the challenges that obviously you were facing. I think the biggest challenge was instruction in the performing arts when it's hands-on and performance-based and trying to do that through a screen. You know, when we were all remote, that was the challenge. But I think the coolest thing about the ACT community is that we were able to all come together and brainstorm and problem solve. And we still put on full production calendars, you know, last year Mm. and the year before through hybrid and remote performances. And then finally bringing audiences back into the theater, small, small audiences. We learned a lot about live streaming and the the benefits, pros and cons of that. And just really thinking deeply with the staff about that. And just to piggyback what David was saying, you know, we've really been able to focus on social emotional learning with Mm. students and, and helping staff and students recognize their emotions and communicate emotions in respectful and responsible ways. And I think of anything from the pandemic, the, f- the focus on specifically teaching social-emotional skills in schools is something that we've all learned as a nation and really grown from. We've heard so much about how it did affect students. As principals of educational facilities, what did you see and what do you think that means moving forward? I think communication, you know, skills that we took for granted at the secondary level, just conversation skills have really, I've noticed, been impacting. And and I've really had to think deeply about my communication Mm -hmm. through this process. Like, what am I saying? How am I saying it? Who's actually reading it and receiving it? And just thinking differently about how frequently we're communicating, I think, 
that was a, a big shift is just the frequency in in communication. It's daily. It's just you know parent keeping parents, students, and teachers in the loop. And the importance of keeping them in the loop. I think definitely triaging with families at home as well as community partners has been, I think, successful as a result of COVID. So we strengthened our partnerships with communities as well as strengthening with our community partners such as United Services, Teague. There's a plethora and robust group of support services offered in Northeast, but they were not communicating. And so really coming to bridge the communication between those supports and making sure that students and parents have direct access and know where to access those supports. But I think for me personally, it was really slowing down and reflecting on how, like Sarah spoke of, communication, as well as how I communicate my emotions, how I present them to the adults and the adult learning community within our building. And also really fostering the environment that allows for adults and students to freely communicate in a safe space, in a safe way, without feeling ostracized or ridiculed. I know many students still struggle with difficulty or have difficulty with communication, but I've seen so much growth in the young learners that we have, so much growth as a result of COVID that is not typically measured by test scores. We've seen a lot of money so like come into the state through ARPA. It's been directed in, in various directions, but we're also so like seeing stories about education getting cuts as well, which seems you know, seems odd when you so like one hand money's mm-hmm. coming in and then suddenly they're saying about cuts, so it's all very alarming. Talk to us a little bit about some of the pathways, which I know both of you want to discuss. They're mm-hmm. very important issues. Start us off, Dave, because you were saying about an, an alliance pathway. Or... Yeah, so um, over the last two years, there's been a merger in the state college system. So consolidation, really a one college system that allows for you know greater development of career and college pathways that connect to both career certificates and terminal degrees. And so over the last two years or years since I started with EastCon and QMC, we forged that partnership with our community college, Quinnebog Valley College, and really looked at how we can best prepare students for the career force as well as for the college setting. And so we really developed two main clusters. So we have a liberal arts and humanities cluster, and then we have a STEM cluster. And under those clusters, there's pathways that include course alignment as well as service learning, which is part of our weekly schedule, as well as any enrichment, so independent research, et cetera, that students might partake in. So in the STEM cluster, we have manufacturing, we have engineering, and we have allied health sciences. Then in our liberal arts and humanities cluster, we have education, we have business leadership, and we have a broad humanities program. And so that really is aligned to the state college system, allowing kids to select courses from the community college, as well as kind of identify and take ownership of what they want to do, starting in grade nine. I recall from my high school experience, I did not know what I wanted to do. I knew it was STEM. I knew it was science, but I had no direction. I was a spinning compass. And so really giving the structure or guidelines for those students to kind of navigate and identify and explore various opportunities is really what both ACT and QMC does best. We have job internships. We have job shadows as part of the Mastery Capstone program we have for grade 12. But really getting kids out in the community and giving them an opportunity to have hands-on learning opportunities. This is what you call service in learning. Yes, 
So we have CERS Learning built into our schedule. It's not after school. It's built in the schedule. So every other week they have their service and learning or service learning. Friday is our unique enrichment day. So it's a half-day schedule that includes everything from our town meeting, which is a democratic-led process where students can voice and petition for change within the school. It's ran by the students, not ran by adults. We have the service learning, and we have enrichment that occurs where kids get to explore independent research and topics of interest aligned to their pathway. One of the big pushes we're seeing here in the state, it seems over the past couple of years, is manufacturing. But of course, manufacturing does have a history. Mm -hmm. And people still seem to think it's stuck in the Victorian age. and It's all dirty (laughs) and greasy and smelly. and Not by any means. So now everything's automated systems. It's understanding mathematics, understanding application, and really getting a sense of project management. So it has really changed. We partnered with EB, so Electric Boat. We're working with local companies up here. And really the pathways were developed not based on us, the adult leaders and administrators. It was built on a survey that went out to the community, working with community partners as well as companies that identify the job needs up here in northeastern Connecticut. So not just Connecticut, but northeastern Connecticut, as well as serving the students and the families. And so we didn't add education into the pathway until we surveyed the students and the students about, oof, around 16% of them want to go into education, which just blows my mind. It's amazing. It's awesome. And so we decided to build the education pathway. Just want to ask you one final question, obviously, about the manufacturing aspect. And as I say, this big Mm. push in the state. Sometimes it isn't about changing the hearts and minds of the students. It's actually changing the hearts and minds of their parents, isn't it? Yes, very much so because of that preconceived point. Yeah. Of course, yeah, in terms of the greasy hand or whatever um, worker, labor, skilled worker. But I do feel that parents do understand now more so than ever how manufacturing has shifted. And it's just that continued communication, as Sarah mentioned before, in terms of really um, providing short sound bites about what manufacturing really is, getting parents in for an open house to really walk through a manufacturing program, to look at the instruments and equipment they use. But it's a different world. It definitely is. Sarah, tell us about, uh, I know you've got a couple of pathways as well, so let's find out about those ones. So ACT has always had five performing arts areas, and this year we've added uh, two more. So we have seven performing arts pathways We have acting, so that's for the student who wants to be up on stage performing in the plays and musicals. We have media arts, so that's our technology-based arts. They're putting together videos, animation, sound engineering, and design. So they're behind the scenes of our productions. They work with our projections. We have a creative writing program, so those students not only explore the different genres of writing, but also how to perform and publish their work. We have dance, so students are learning all different techniques of dance and uh, choreography. Uh, We have a student dance company that's completely student choreographed, and they partner with our uh, technical theater students who become the lighting designers for that production. We have music, so that's one of our newer pathways. So students focus on performing music, but also composition, creating their own pieces of music. And we have technical theater. So that's all the behind the scenes, set design, lighting, costume design, costume construction. And then integrated arts and management is our brand new pathway that we're very excited about. So it's focusing on the creative process as a whole. Students kind of explore what it means to be a creative person and part of that process. And then they're looking at different skills that they would need to be successful to help run 
uh, nonprofit arts organizations and the behind the scenes of what goes into arts productions. That's important because mm. obviously nonprofits do so much of the world that we live in. Let me just put this question to you. Young people always seem to get stigmatized, you know, by whoever. Mm. Oh, yeah, they're just interested in being influencers and all that sort of mm. stuff. I mean, it's beyond all of that. I mean, I'm guessing there's there's a certain degree of these young people, you know, yeah, I want to be a star or whatever. But mm. it goes far beyond that, doesn't it? We have a rigorous curriculum mm. in the, each of the performing arts pathways. We have a combination of professional artists and certified teachers in mm-hmm. our building. And the professional artists bring a sense of degree of difficulty, challenge, expectation to each student. And they all know what it takes to be successful in the industry and in the field. And it's not YouTube, you know, it's it's classic technique in all of the the disciplines. So students start off with, you know, this is what it takes. We also typically freshmen aren't involved in the productions right away. They Mm -hmm. have to get the, the technique and underlying skills in order to be successful on the stage. So that kind of sets the groundwork like there's a certain level of expectation we're looking for in our performers before they are on the stage your dancers you mentioned it briefly just a moment Mm -hmm. ago you've got the professional dancers but you're looking for some tell us tell us about that because i find that staggering because i would have thought people would excuse the pun jumped at the opportunity yeah typically uh typically we do have a a big number of dancers in our our program this year we didn't get a lot of applicants for our dance program Uh, our dance program focuses on all genres of dance ballet is the foundation of dance so there's that ballet technique they have jazz hip-hop tap the choreography focus composition focus so students are creating and producing their original work so yeah we are we're definitely looking for for students who want to study dance it's you know it's different than a studio setting because there's academic expectation and research around dance dance history dance injury and prevention so there there's a lot that a lot more that goes into it than you would get at a dance studio. And many of our students also study dance outside of school. Mm. So I think there's that mindset that if they go to act, they can't dance at a studio. And and most of our dancers do that. So definitely interested. If you're interested in finding out more, definitely Mm. reach out, set up a shadow day. I can speak that my niece attends ACT, absolutely loves it. And she dances outside of school in the studio and does um, professional gymnastics or competitive gymnastics. Heavy load, but I know that students that are engaged that really want that outcome will push themselves to be successful. All the qualifications that they get either at Sarah at uh, ACT or at mm. uh, Middle College, these are all industry standard type stuff. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, they're not taking things which people are going to go, where did you get that from? <laughs> no, both schools actually have just gone through identifying priority standards based on the the national common core standards, state standards. So both schools have gone through that process. So we're meeting the standards that all high schools in the state and the performing arts, at least that act is in, in the nation that are industry standards. So yes, this mm. is, this is what they're saying is best, best practice. And our students are receiving daily feedback on all of those skills and standards. Mm. David, I want to ask you a quick question as well. Students and sort of like, and change leadership. Tell us a little bit about that. Cause we were having obviously a little pre-chat before we start doing the recording mm. and that was something that you wanted to discuss. Talk to us about that. 
So part of our magnet theme units and kind of collaboration amongst content areas is really focused on activism and being a part, effective part of your community. So as I mentioned, we have the town meeting, which is ran like a city council. So it's Robert's Rules of Order and students actually run it, not the adults. Part of service leadership, students actually engage in a nonprofit and work with them to identify a problem, work on a solution. We just partnered with United Services last year on a grant, a student-led grant that is looking at marketing for social media, youth-inspiring youth related to public health concerns, as well as mental health. We have another grant through Voice for Change, which is a State Department of Education grant that a student wrote. He wrote the proposal with a team of other students to look at food insecurity and food justice in Northeastern Connecticut, specifically in the Wyndham and Willimantic area. So they will be partnering with Wyndham Grow, which is a phenomenal nonprofit right out of Willimantic to build, construct cost-effective hydroponic systems that can be used in community shelters, food pantries, as well as schools. So really giving the students the opportunity to be engaged, to take leadership roles versus the adults really leading the way. Everything from prom to a lot of our student events are actually developed by student committees, not ran by the adults. We support, we facilitate, we mentor. That's why we utilize first names. We are change leaders and we are lifelong learners along students. And so we really kind of roll up our sleeves with the students to dig in and get work done. And it's really meaningful and we have positive outcomes. Well, two amazing organizations, obviously part of EastCon. Uh, We could talk and talk. There's so much more that Mm. we can talk. And we will come back and revisit both of your organizations. Sarah, we hope the dancers, once they've heard this, come flooding (laughs) in so that uh, that can just add to all of those productions you do. And David, you know, amazing stuff with these young people, as you say, writing, you know, proposals and policy. I mean, that's just incredible stuff. It's all the stuff that we need to Mm. hear and, and support, obviously, our young people. And they're very lucky to have two great principals in both of you. So Thank David you. Brown, Principal of Quinnebog Middle College and Sarah Mallory, Principal of Arts at the Capitol Theatre. To you both, thank you. Thank you very thank much, you. Brian. It's a pleasure. And if you want to find out more about courses or enrolling at Quinnebog Middle College, then head to their website page at eastcon, that's E-A-S-T-C-O-N-N dot org forward slash QMC. And for Arts at the Capitol Theatre, head to eastcon, E-A-S-T, conn.org forward slash ACT. Mom's early Alzheimer's diagnosis was hard to take. And when I left the oven on, we decided together that it was time to see a doctor and make a plan. Early detection gave us more time to seek out information and support as a family. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. For more information, visit alz.org slash time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Fall will soon be here and now's the time to start thinking about fall planting and maintenance. From your trees to your plants, now's the time to book ahead with Green Valley Tree LLC. Let us set up a fall maintenance plan for you to make sure your yard is ready for when winter arrives. Contact us via our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com or call us on 860-234-4041. And don't forget to ask us about our 100% no money down financing too. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week, sponsored by... 
Healing Therapies Through Sharing is Eastern Connecticut's holistic wellness center for those recently diagnosed or living with a cancer diagnosis and their caregivers. We offer a range of services including adult and pediatric oncology massage, lymphatic drainage, craniosacral therapy, yoga for cancer, and much more. For details about our full range of services and our team of licensed professional therapists and providers, visit our website at healingtherapiesct.org or call us on 860-443-0800. We look forward to hearing from you. The non-profit organization Pathfinders, Inc. have become the new owners of Deer Lake in Killingworth and held a press event recently to thank everyone who helped them save Deer Lake from being sold for possible development. Earlier this year, the former owners of the property, the Connecticut Yankee Council, part of Boy Scouts of America, were set to sell the property to a private developer for $4.625 million. Ted Langevin is the president of Pathfinders and said now the site is saved, they can move forward on their three promises. One of them is to preserve the green space and conserve it. Second one is to keep the camp alive, the camping program. And the third is to increase public access. Those goals are in our forefront and are still partially complete because we achieved the goal of gaining a possession of the property. Mark Clifton is Deer Lake's long-serving camp ranger and gave some history about the property and what it means to people. I was looking back. It started as a camp 90 years ago with a gentleman named Ralph Hill, and it's just continued in the same format, more or less. And it's funny that there's folks from Ralph Hill's days back in the 30s and 40s still come to camp here once or twice a year just to remember. And it obviously has touched their lives. The controversial sale sparked a local movement to save Deer Lake and more than 1,300 donors from across Connecticut and 34 other states as well as two private lenders helped raise the $4.75 million to buy the land. People can still donate money to Deer Lake to help with its future preservation at the website savedeerlake.com. September is National Suicide Prevention Month, which spotlights the issues in Connecticut and across the U.S., Edwin J. Vieira of the Connecticut News Service has this report. Although suicide rates in Connecticut are low, there are still ways to prevent those deaths. Andrea Duarte with the Connecticut Suicide Advisory Board says it can be challenging for physicians to spot signs that a person might be considering suicide. While a physician might suspect there is something wrong from changes in patients' health, there are other methods of seeing how close someone is to committing suicide. But Duarte says how a person thinks of suicide can change depending on their current circumstances. Some people may struggle chronically with suicidal thinking just like you have a chronic other type of disease. And there will be ups and downs and ebbs and flows to that. And sometimes you'll have increased levels of severity and sometimes you'll have less. It's important to understand the spectrum of thinking. One tool that has become easy for physicians to utilize is the Columbia Suicide Severity Rating Scale. This is a short list of questions that can tell a clinician where a person's mental health is at that moment. Doing this can help a doctor understand the right course of action for providing a person with the proper course of mental health treatment. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. And in the day this week, the family of Desiree Diaz, who died at age 33 in 2018 after spending one night at the York Correctional Institution in East Lyme, has fended off the state's efforts to dismiss its medical malpractice lawsuit. Judge Stephen Jacobs denied the motion by the state attorney's general's office to dismiss the case on September 16th. 
The Attorney General's office moved to dismiss the complaint in March because Lindsay's expert, endocrinologist Robert J. Cooper, did not work in the specific area of correctional nursing. However, Judge Jacobs rejected the state's argument, stating that Cooper is qualified as a similar health care provider. The lawsuit is now able to proceed. In the Norwich Bulletin this week, at a recent Norwich City Council meeting, Alderman Swaranjit Singh asked the council to reconsider two votes concerning the state's Route 82 roundabout project during the previous September 6th meeting due to conflict of interest concerns with his vote. The new vote will be postponed to November 21st to give the Ethics Commission plenty of time to consider the matter. In the Chronicle this week, with the help of the town's public relations consultant, a new website is being developed to promote attractions and businesses in Wyndham. The website is one of several projects that Quinn and Harry Public Relations of New London are working on. Wyndham Economic and Development Director James Bellano said the town has a one-year contract with the public relations firm and is paying them $50,000 of the town's American Rescue Plan Act funds. And in the Putnam Town Crier this week, September 8th was a special day on the Putnam Science Academy campus as alum and current member of the NBA's Detroit Pistons, Hamadou Diallo, returned to visit the school for the first time since he left for the University of Kentucky in 2016. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.